Today we're looking again at the book of Philippians and we're asking the question, how can we have rest in really hard circumstances? All week long I've been wrestling with that question and one image has been coming to my mind. It's an image of a cat named Chippy. Chippy found us when our kids were little and he adopted us. Uh, and, And our kids were young enough that they had not yet learned the right way to show affection to a cat right? Cats scratch and fight and claw if you try to squeeze them too hard. Chippy didn't know that. Our kids didn't know that. And so Chippy got carried like this a lot, squeezed really hard a lot, you know, and and held upside down and hugged tight and all these things that would typically provoke an animal. And Chippy slept through most of it and purred and, and he was just so content and always at peace even when he was being squeezed in these strange ways. Jesus wants you to have that kind of gift of rest, a kind of contentment and peace that even when life in this world is squeezing you beyond what you think you can take, you can rest. He wants you to have that gift. Today we'll hear from uh, words from the Apostle Paul, uh, one of Christ's servants. And he's going to talk about how Jesus has given him this gift of rest in the middle of hard circumstances. And he's talking about that not because he's arrogant, not because he wants to promote himself and, or wants, to, uh, wants us to indulge in hero worship. He's talking about that because he wants us to know we can receive the same gift from Christ ourselves. And um, he's writing these words from a tight squeeze. He's in prison. And he's writing to people hundreds of miles away whose church is about to be squeezed in another way. And he wants them to look to Christ and find the same kind of rest. Let's listen as we hear Words from this Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians. Thanks, Stacey. Today's scripture comes from Philippians 1, 12 through 18. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. This is the word of the Lord. Let's take a moment to pray. Lord God, without the power of your spirit, these words will just be empty they will um, just be sounds in our ears that we will soon forget. Send the Spirit to write Christ on our hearts, especially on the hearts of, of those of us who think we don't need Him. 
which at some stage is all of us. Send the Spirit to write Christ on our hearts, we pray. Amen. You ever looked at a photo album with really small children? They're, they're too small to really be completely accused of arrogance or self-centeredness in the way that you might charge an adult if they did the same thing. But you're looking at the photo album with the kids, whether it's the old-fashioned kind with pages or one that's digital, and they keep saying, we're the ones with me, right? I don't want to see the ones with Grandma or Aunt Susie. We're the ones with me. Um, Sometimes we read the New Testament that way. Can we skip past this stuff about the Apostle Paul and what was happening with him? Where's the stuff that's about us? Where's the stuff that's about, you know, relevant to me? Let's unpack before we dive deeper into these words that we heard. A couple guidelines that will help us read the New Testament better, and one of them is to see that passages like this where, where a leader in the church is talking about what's happening in their own life and heart. What's actually going on there is this principle that says authentic leaders will display a gospel-saturated heart. Uh, and so throughout Paul's letters and, and letters written by other leaders in the early church, We'll, we'll have the same kind of pattern. There, there's a constant interplay between this sense that a false Jesus will produce false life and false leaders, and that the true Jesus will produce a faithful life and authentic leaders. And so whenever Paul will talk about sort of a, a false life, he's really talking about a false Jesus. And when he, when he comes down hard on false leaders, like we'll hear him do later in Philippians chapter 3, where he says some people live as enemies of the cross of Christ. He's not just condemning, beating up on the competition, so to speak. He's actually warning people that there's a false message about Jesus out there. There's a, there's a Jesus created by people's imaginations. And that will end up in a bad place. So don't follow these false leaders. They will teach you a false life because they're following a version of Jesus that isn't real. But then he'll take time, like he does in today's scripture reading, to say, let me show you the true Jesus. And, and if I describe myself as an authentic leader, it's not to promote myself. It's because I want Christ to be preached in every way. And if I'm an authentic leader, it's only because the true Jesus is producing a faithful life in me. So we don't want to skip past these parts and say, oh, that's just about Paul. Where's the part about me? When he's talking about himself, he is talking about us because he's saying, if you come to know the real Jesus, then this same kind of gospel-saturated heart can be a reality for you too. And when the gospel saturates our hearts, we'll see, here's the second guideline. If the first one is authentic leaders display a gospel-saturated heart, then a second guideline that will help us make sense of a whole lot of the New Testament and a whole lot of the Old Testament as well is a pattern that one scholar has called though, not, but. Though, not, but. Three separate words. It's a fundamental rhythm of the gospel. Now, the, the most basic rhythm that the gospel creates in us is, is cross and resurrection, life, death, ex humiliation, exaltation, suffering, joy. 
That's a basic rhythm of the gospel. Well, here's another that's a three-step. Though, though this set of circumstances would lead us to expect this kind of outcome, not. We, we do not see what we would expect, but. But instead, we see something radically, beautifully, gloriously different. And you'll see that rhythm throughout much of the New Testament. We'll see it when we come to Philippians chapter 2 and its description of Jesus. We see it today in the shape that Christ is taking in the heart and life of the Apostle Paul. And as we dive into that rhythm, we'll find the answer to the question, how can we have rest in hard circumstances? So let's start with that first word, though. Paul's life situation was really hard. And even though he was in that kind of situation, he didn't respond the way you'd expect. What was it about those circumstances, that situation that was so hard? Well, listen again to verses 12 and 13. What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Like, though these things happened to me, something good actually came of it. Well, what happened to you, Paul? Well, he was thrown in prison. Verse 13 says, my imprisonment is for Christ. Verse 14, other brothers in Jesus have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. So he's in prison being guarded by Roman soldiers. He refers in verse 13 to the imperial guard. There are about 9,000 Roman soldiers who were personal bodyguards for Caesar. They were stationed all over the empire so that the, the emperor had the freedom to travel whenever and wherever he wanted and know that his personal bodyguard was there. And Paul is saying, that's how closely I'm being watched. That's who's keeping an eye on me. I am, I am in chains. I am a prisoner. I don't have freedom. And it's the kind of circumstance, verse 14 says, hey, some of these people have gotten so confident that they're boldly speaking this message about Christ without fear. In other words, I'm in the kind of circumstance that would make anybody normal be afraid. Hard circumstances. And it's not just outward circumstances that are tough, but Paul is, his reputation is being attacked by other Christians. Did you pick up on that? Let's listen again as he says, verse 15. Some preach Christ from envy and rivalry. There are some Christians here where I am in prison. I, I think it's in Rome. Some people would debate that. But let's just go with that for today's purposes. Some people here in Rome where I am in prison, they're faithful believers in Jesus. But their reason right now for preaching about Jesus is to make my life harder, right? Some preach Christ from envy and rivalry, others from goodwill. Verse 17 picks it up. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What does that mean? Well, it likely means this. Paul is known as a, a, a great leader in the early church and a, a fantastic communicator of the gospel and 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 sort of these spiritual awakenings happen in nearly every place he visits. And now while he's on the sidelines with an injury, so to speak, we're going to win a few races. 
we're going to kind of vault to the lead in terms of having reputation as great leaders in this early Christian movement. So we're going to kind of kick him while he's down, so to speak. He's in prison, and we want to make it clear that he doesn't deserve the great reputation he has. We do. So, so that's, a, that's a hard sort of circumstances, isn't it? You feel, you feel this, you know the saying, being backed into a corner? where two things are squeezing you at once. You got this, this wall, you know, coming at you from this direction and this one from the other. And Paul's like, hey, the, the people who don't believe in Jesus have imprisoned me. And the people who do believe in Jesus are trying to run my reputation down. And what, how, how do people normally respond when you back them into a corner? They come out swinging, right? And that's what we would normally expect to happen. You back somebody into a corner, they normally respond very poorly. I deserve comfortable circumstances, not like this prison gig I've got. And I deserve my reputation for success. And how dare you try to get ahead of me in the reputation race. And if you threaten me this way, I will not respond with rest and contentment. I won't be chippy. I will come out with the claws fighting, scratching, and making sure I get what I deserve because I deserve a comfortable life and I deserve a reputation for success. And though this gospel-saturated man was experiencing those kinds of circumstances, he did not respond the way you'd normally expect. Not. He did not fight and scratch and claw to show how much he deserved. He's honest about his hard circumstances, but notice that he doesn't attack the people who are responsible for imprisoning him. He talks about him, his imprisonment, but the only thing he says about his Roman guards, he doesn't call them scum, he doesn't call them vile, he doesn't say they're horrible unbelievers, or pagans or heathens. He doesn't say any of that. He simply says, they know that I'm in prison because of Christ. It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. He doesn't come out swinging. And, and he's honest about what the other Christians are doing to him, right? He uses strong language. He says, hey, they are coming out of a place of envy and rivalry and jealousy. He's not sweeping that under the rug. He's not trying to pretend it away. But he doesn't try to destroy the people who are ruining his reputation. Instead, he, he never calls them names. <laughs> The gospel can saturate your heart in such a way that when you get back to, into a corner and squeezed by life, you don't come out clawing to show what you deserve. Isn't that good news that that, that kind of change could happen to you, to me? That's not normal. It's not ordinary. And that's part of this rhythm, though... Paul was experiencing these really hard circumstances. He did not respond the way we'd expect, but instead he rested. He found contentment. He was able to rejoice. 
That's how the scripture reading ended, right? Verse 18. Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Like he's saying, right now I'm rejoicing, and I'm going to keep rejoicing. And though I'm backed into this corner, and even though I'm being mistreated by those who don't understand me and those who should understand me, those who are not my brothers and sisters in the Christian faith and those who are, I'm getting squeezed on both sides. I'm still full of joy. Is it because he's naive? Nope. He talks about imprisonment three times in just a few sentences. And he uses very strong language, envy, rivalry, jealousy. So how in the world is this possible? And that's the good news of what Jesus does. Christ is proclaimed, and that's why I have joy, even when I'm squeezed this way. Some people are preaching Jesus here in the place of my imprisonment. Out of love, verse 16 says, they know that I'm here because, because I have a role for defending the gospel in the Roman Empire and before its officials. And they're preaching Jesus because of love for him and for me. And that's amazing. And these other people are trying to beat me up and kick me while I'm down and, and ruin my reputation. But they too are preaching Christ and I'm happy. The only thing being destroyed is my reputation so I can remain happy because Christ's reputation is not being destroyed. It's being honored and made greater. Now, chapter 3, Paul is going to say there are certain people who are enemies of the cross of Christ. They're damaging the reputation of Christ. He's going to respond differently to that group of people. But here his response is, I love the reputation of Jesus more than I love my own reputation. And that's why I can rejoice, even though I'm in this hard place. There's something about Christ that can cause normally prideful and arrogant people Normally irritable people, pe people who tend to respond badly when you back them into a corner, people who tend to want to defend their own reputation and destroy anybody who harms it, people who tend to love comfort and will do whatever it takes to hang on to it rather than suffer. There's something about Christ that can take people like that and make us able to stop insisting that the first priority in the world is our reputation. There's something about Christ that can take people like you and me and give us the power to stop insisting that we deserve better than this. What is that about Christ? Well, you have to wait two weeks to find out. Now, if you had been hearing the book of Philippians read out loud as part of the first audience, Paul wrote it down in his prison cell. It, it travels hundreds of miles to where they are in Philippi. And, and then they gather for worship on the Lord's Day. And 
And when it's time for the reading of Scriptures, they read the Scriptures. They read this letter from the Apostle Paul. They probably also read some Old Testament passages before that as well. And they would have heard the answer, what is it about Christ, 90 seconds after we raised the question. But we're going to wait two weeks. We'll get there. But I'll give you a hint. Spoiler alert. Jesus entered our world willingly and endured really painful circumstances. He did that for us. He didn't resist and scratch and fight and claw when life got hard for him. He didn't lash out. He didn't run away from us because we were the ones causing this difficulty for him. He willingly left the glory of eternity and perfect fellowship with his Father and the Spirit in order to take on the weakness of our flesh and blood and to put himself under the same kinds of Roman soldiers who were guarding Paul in his imprisonment. Jesus did that for us, and Jesus, in the process of that, sacrificed his own reputation so that whatever reputation he might have built up during his ministry, while he was hanging on the cross, everybody standing there watching him would have, and they did, just dismissed it all. Hey, if you're the Son of God, you don't let yourself get crucified. If you're the king of the Jews, you don't let yourself get conquered by your enemies. We thought he was the Messiah, but he died on a cross. His reputation was torn to shreds, and Jesus did all of that willingly for us. And that's what captivates us. That's what captures us. That's what stops us in our tracks and says, when I'm backed in the corner, I don't have to just give up. I don't have to scratch and claw and fight my way out and destroy everybody who meets me, who gets in my way. Here's another option because something new has captured my heart. Give a child a $20 bill. They may not understand it, right? What am I holding? It's just a piece of paper. It's green. Once they start to get a little bit of a concept, though, of what, what this green piece of paper means with those numbers on it, whoa, I'm rich. I've got more money than I've ever had in the history of the whole universe. I'm the richest person ever. I love this green little piece of paper. And then they walk into the toy store, and they're faced with a choice. Which do you value more? The green little piece of paper with the numbers on it? Or the toy you want over there? If having the green little piece of paper means more to you than the toy, then it'll stay on the shelf and this will stay in your pocket and you'll leave the store. But if the toy means more to you, then you will gladly hand that piece of paper over to someone else and leave it behind and walk out with this new treasure. What you can't do is have that and hold on to this. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do, right? He is saying, do you want this kind of rest and peace and contentment? 
that does the absolutely unexpected when you're backed into a corner, you can have that gift, but you've got to be willing to let go of some other stuff. If you value comfortable circumstances more than anything else, then no, you cannot have this kind of rest that Jesus wants to give you. And if you value your reputation more than anything else, and you're not going to let it go, then no, you cannot have the kind of peace and rest and contentment that Christ displayed in his own life and that he wants to work in your heart and life as well. You have to let go of that love for your reputation, for your comfort. If getting what I deserve is what I value most, then I cannot have the kind of rest that Jesus wants to give me. But if I treasure him because I've been captivated by him and by all that he is, and all that he will always be, and all that he has done, and all that he will continue to do. If he captivates my heart, then I can let go of all those things. Because I'm learning, not perfectly, but authentically, to value him, to treasure him, and to be able to say, as long as his name is being proclaimed, then it's okay if my circumstances are hard. They're still hard, and I'm going to be honest about it. And as long as his name is being proclaimed and people are honoring him and trusting him and learning to love him, then even if I am made to look like a fool, it will be okay. Because I'm willing to lay all that down and rejoice that his name is preached. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, help us to treasure you more than we treasure anything else. And then help us to take the next step of treasuring you more than everything else put together. And help us to find a new kind of rest we have been living in and we'll continue living in hard circumstances. And we will constantly be tempted to treasure our own reputation more than anything else. But we pray that you would free us from those things. Help us to leave them behind and find in you all the rest and all the strength for change and growth that we need. We pray in your powerful name. Amen.